Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along with us, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and then subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical copies of the reading plan available at all of our campuses every Sunday. Yeah, and with that, if you have any questions that you would like to get answered about the Bible um, or even the Bible reading plan, email your question to info at grove.church. Once again, that is info at grove.church. Now, obviously, we can't get to every single question every single week, so we have decided that we are going to do a once a month bonus episode. Bonus episode. Bonus episode for free, money back guarantee, uh, where we are actually going to go over every question that was asked um, over the month or as many as we possibly can. We don't want to obviously do an hour-long podcast, but we want to make sure we're answering your questions that you have about the Bible. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this week's Bible talk. Uh, We're going to start off with the book of Job. So if you'll remember last week, we went over a little bit of the structure of the book. So in other words, we talked about how uh, Job will speak, then a friend, then Job, then his friend, then Job, then his friend, and then Job again. Uh, that structure continues on for a long time, and then it ends in chapter 28. And really from 28 through the end of the book, we get these really interesting sections. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about today is Job's poem on wisdom, but we also get uh, Eliphaz replying, and he has this uh, monologue that goes on for quite a few chapters, really just kind of about the nature of the friends, the nature of even the discussion itself, which is really good, and we'll be talking more about that, that next week. And then finally, we get God's reply to Job, which which really for me uh, is, is easily my favorite part of the book of Job. Um, it helps to put everything into perspective, so make sure that you stay tuned for that. For this week, though, we're going to focus on chapter 28, where Job poetically asks a question that we have all been asking since the beginning of human history. And namely, it is this, where can wisdom be found? And I'm just going to read a small section of it before we talk about it, because I think it's really good. Um, I took out uh, a few of the verses just to kind of help it flow better and get to the point, so we're not reading here for half the podcast, but you're going to get the gist of it. Uh, Starting in verse 1, it says this, Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth, and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in the gloom and in deep darkness. He opens shafts and valleys away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air. Far away from mankind, they swing to and fro. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living." The deep says it is not in me, and the sea said is the sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in the precious precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for the jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal, nor the price of wisdom above pearls. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under heaven. When he gave the wind its weight, and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain, and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it, he established it, and he searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding." And again, we talked last week about how Job is the first book in the poetry and wisdom 
literature of the Bible. And this really talks about a question that most of the wisdom books actually deal with, which is where can we find wisdom? And the answer that Job arrives at is the same answer that all the other books arrive at, which is namely that wisdom is found in God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the just the, the the imagery that Job uses. He you know, says, we know where to find gold. And people go out and they seek it out. We know where to find silver. People go and seek it out. In fact, uh, we didn't read all of the passages, but he talks about how we know where to get bread. We know how to grow vegetables. We know all of these different things. When we want it, we know where to go for it. Uh, and yet sometimes we don't do that for wisdom. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we know where to find wisdom. We know that wisdom is with God. Yeah. Um, but so often we don't seek after it. Yeah. And um, I love that phrase uh, in verse 28 where it says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And growing up i i would always hear that phrase oh the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom or and and i didn't have a great understanding of what it actually meant to uh fear the lord i always thought of fear as in you know being afraid of something but really if if we look into the original context and into the original language what this is actually talking about it's not about a fear it's about a constant awareness of god in our life yeah. and when we have a constant awareness of god in our life our actions will actually be um, performed through that lens. And ultimately, um, it will bring wisdom because I know that if my actions are always being seen, uh, let's put it this way, if you, um, you know, a, a best friend or an accountability partner or a spouse, um, you've communicated that you have standards for yourself and for them. If they're in your presence all the time, you're not going to be violating the standards that you've already put forth. And so having that constant awareness of God is the beginning of wisdom because we say, God, we want to be like you. We want to be holy like you. And because of the constant awareness of you in my life, God, I'm going to live a life that is glorifying to you. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, It kind of reminds me of, it's maybe a little bit of a cheesy example, but if you've read um, the Chronicles of Narnia in the the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the the kids meet Aslan, which is kind of the, uh, is the Jesus character of the story. So it's all, it's all kind of an allegory. Um, and they they talk, they ask you know is he a dangerous lion and they say like well of course of course he's dangerous and it's kind of this interesting idea of um in in, in really simple terms right loving absolutely great perfect sinless and at the same time uh dangerous in the sense mm-hmm. of like powerful and that's kind of our relationship with God a little bit it's not and sometimes we have a tendency to view uh Jesus or God as kind of just like weak um and and really the Bible presents something very far from that so. Yeah, it's like what we talked about um, a couple of weeks ago, where you know we need to have a balanced view of Christianity. We need to have a balanced view of what it looks like to live a life that is glorifying to God. We need to have a balanced view also of who God is, because we talked last uh, a couple of weeks ago about how God is either uh, full of wrath or full of grace. But the reality is, um, who God is is found in the middle of that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump into the book of Luke, which is the first of our New Testament writings this week. Yeah, and we are going to be um, opening up to Luke 15 um, towards the beginning of the week. And I love this passage. Um, Luke 15, if you don't really know a lot about, I'm going to give you um, just a quick overview. Luke chapter 15 is a pretty popular chapter uh, in the entire Bible, honestly. It's um, Jesus communicating three different parables about something that has been lost. Uh, It's a lost sheep, it's a lost coin, uh, and it's a lost son. A lot of us know the lost son story as the story of the prodigal son. Uh, But all three of these are basically allegories or parables or stories that have truth within it, talking about who Jesus is to us and kind of how we've acted in our sin by 
basically either wandering off or being lost or completely rejecting him and going away. And I love how Luke chapter 15 opens um, because as we've talked in the past, there's tension between Jesus and the Pharisees and um, the teachers of the law, the scribes, that really, um, if we even think about it today, it's kind of it's kind of mind-boggling that these people who claim to know God would separate themselves from sinners. It says this in verse one through three. Now, okay. It says this in verses one through three in chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So Jesus is surrounding himself with people that obviously in the culture um, were looked down upon. Verse two, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And then Jesus told him this parable. And I love how this whole thing starts because it really shows who Jesus is. Um, I always think of it like this. Like I know like growing up, my sister and me would maybe get in a little bit of an argument and I would like say something passive aggressively like to my mom um, just to like cut her to the core. And I don't think Jesus was doing this passive aggressively. I think he was doing it really just to um, share light because he knew that the Pharisees and tax collectors were going to hear what he had to say, but he was not speaking to them. He's speaking to these sinners who Jesus came to this earth to save. And he starts talking about this parable of the lost sheep. Um, it says this, then Jesus told them this parable. We're going to go over a few verses really quick. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need repentance. And what I love about this is, um, I don't know if everybody knows this, but sheep are highly regarded as one of the dumbest animals to ever live. They're not, they're not the smartest. They're not the smartest. In fact, in 2005, um, I looked this up earlier because I've heard this story. I want to make sure it's true. And it was reported by BBC that in Turkey, in 2005, one sheep um, wandered off from a flock of 1,500 sheep um, when the shepherds, that just let you guys know, shepherds are still a thing. Um, they went on their lunch break and one sheep wandered off. Well, the issue is a second sheep started following and then a third sheep and then a fourth and then a 10th and then a 20th, 50, 100. Then all of a sudden, all 1,500 of these sheep started wandering off. They didn't have any way to know um, that what they were doing is wrong. And so big deal, right? Like these sheep are just wandering off. Well, the first sheep, um, being the dumb sheep that he is, actually fell off a cliff. And so did the next sheep. And the third sheep, and then the 10th sheep, and then the 100th sheep. And then it went to 400 sheep falling off this cliff, all dying. But all 1,500 sheep actually fell off this cliff uh, because of the amount of uh, padding on the ground, the wool. the, you know, they said only about 400 died, but the, you know, the, you know, what is that? The 1100th sheep, the 1100 other sheep had so much padding when they fell off the cliff. I was about to say, it seems like like landing on pillows. Yeah, it's like landing on pillows. And the teachers of the law and the scribes knew that Jesus was comparing all of us to sheep. And I don't know, they had so much pride in their life. I, I just have to believe that in context, we read this, like the Pharisees are like, wow, he's comparing me, somebody who knows the law, somebody who knows everything that I'm supposed to do. 
you know, do right. I know, um, you know, the ceremonial things. I know who I should associate and who I shouldn't. And he's lumping me together with these sinners who are tax collectors, who are the lowest of low. And it's just, I, I, I just see this picture coming together of not only why um, they didn't like Jesus uh, because he was with these sinners and, and, and tax collectors. And he even says they eat with them, which was a sign of approval and acceptance. But he goes on to say, I'm just like these people. And I don't know. I just think I would have a hard hard time with that if I thought I was better than everybody yeah. to now be lumped in with them. Well, I think it's interesting because um, really the Pharisees and, and a lot of the religious people of the time just had a, a the, the wrong view of themselves. And I, I think it was Brennan Manning who said this, who I, I really appreciate. But the view that we as Christians need to have of ourselves is not that we have it all together and then we're going down and we're saving people who don't, but rather we're uh, we're beggars leading other beggars to a place where we found bread. Yeah, uh, We're not the people who make it. We're not the people who save, but rather uh, we needed saving just as much as they did. And we found the place and we can lead them to it. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, we're going to jump back into the Old Testament. Uh, this year, our Bible reading plan, we're doing it a little bit differently. We're not going to go through the book of Psalms in order all at one time, but rather just kind of be gonna, they're going to be sprinkled in throughout the entire plan. And so this week, we're actually starting with Psalm 121, but we also wanted to make sure that we introduce the book of Psalms a little bit. So if you haven't read it before, uh, just to give you a quick introduction. The book of Psalms was the prayer book of ancient Israel, uh, and you can kind of think of it as a hymnal of sorts. These were songs and poems written for everything from private prayer to corporate worship, or in other words, these can be private prayers that people wrote down that were eventually recorded, or they can be songs specifically written down to be sung by big groups of people. We think of David as being the author of the Psalms, and he was actually the author of most of the Psalms, so majority, um, or at least the plurality, he wrote 73 out of 150. But there were other authors uh, that wrote many of the Psalms as well, such as Asaph, the sons of Korah, Jeduthun, I don't know if I said that right, but I'm just going to roll with it, Solomon, uh, and so on. There's a lot of different authors, and a lot of them have some very unique things to say. Yeah, and this week, we are actually only reading one Psalm, uh, Psalms 121, which is uh, one of my favorite Psalms of all time. Um, I'm going to get into why in a little bit, uh, but I want to give you a little bit of context. Um, I'm going to read this out of my Bible commentary here. Psalm 121, a Psalm of trust. Uh, this is the second Psalm of ascent. Uh, Psalms 120, the one before it sets the stage for the Israelites journey to the Holy city. This poem is a song for the road and the Psalm may have also been designed, uh, for antiphonal response like Psalms 118, 124, and so on. Uh, the structure of the poem is an affirmation that help is from God, a word of praise to God who does not slumber, a word of praise to God who keeps his people, an affirmation that God will protect his people uh, during their journeys. And I love the, how this entire psalm begins. In verses 1 and 2, it says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord the maker of the heaven and earth. You see this word, I lift my eyes to the hills. It dramatically uh, paints a picture of a traveler approaching the city of Jerusalem. On first side of the city, the walls of the temple, uh, the, the, the singer asks rhetorically, where does my help come from? Where can I find my help? And the answer of this strong affirmation is my help comes from the and like I said earlier, this is one of my favorite Psalms uh, for a personal reason. Um, in 2015, I had the opportunity to go to Israel for about a month. 
And um, I remember one day we were walking in the city. It was kind of a trail or whatever. It's a modern city now. So a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's obviously not like it was back, back when this psalm was written. But I remember our instructor had us all pause and he said, hey, open up Psalms 121 and read it. And we all read it and, and whatever. And we didn't really know what was happening. And we, as we continued to walk, we realized that we were on a trail that a traveler would have taken to get to the city. And reading that passage, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It became so real because obviously me, before I had read this and before I, or in Israel, read this in Israel, I had always thought it was kind of a, um, just a, a metaphor. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Thinking of like, man, like, I don't know where my help comes from. But then when I look up and see God's majesty, that's where my help comes from. What I realized very quickly is this is more of a statement of our God is a fortress. Our God will be with us through the hardest times, much like a city's walls protect the people within it. Our God is a God who will protect us. But what I love about this is through all of it, it reminds us that our God is with us every step of the way. That's awesome. Uh, for our final book this week that we're going to be highlighting, we are still in the book of Revelation, uh, first, uh, chapters 9 through 15 this week. And really, I just kind of wanted to give um, a big picture overview of what's going on in the book. And so uh, looking at my notes, I just titled it, We're in the Apocalypse Now, which is kind of a weird a weird thing to say. But um, really, the idea is we see all of these pictures, and it's a lot of famous, um, even things that modern in, in in our modern minds we have in our heads, like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, things like that. But really, the picture is God's wrath being poured out upon the world. There's a bunch of crazy stuff that's happening, um, and one of the main themes is is really this utter rejection of God's truth and the utter rejection of God Himself. I think there's the story of the two witnesses, where really. Um, John sees this vision of two people who are going around, they're proclaiming the truth of God, um, and it's appointed that they're going to be protected, so God does not allow them to be killed until a certain until a certain point. But all throughout their preaching and their teaching, they're rejected. Uh, it's inferred that they're tried to be that they're tried to be assassinated a few times, and then finally they are killed. And it just shows this this state of depravity that the world is in, and this idea that even in the midst of all of these crazy things that are happening, there's this utter rejection of God, there's this utter rejection of his truth. And and we talked about it in the first week of the podcast, but there really is this picture that in one way or the other, all human beings will eventually glorify God. And you'll glorify him. uh, For us as Christians, we glorify him because he demonstrates his mercy with us. He demonstrates his love for us because we trust him, because we believe in him we're able to have a relationship with him. But for those who reject God, for those who are given chance after chance, and eventually um, God's wrath is poured out, you'll you'll glorify God in a completely different way. And you'll glorify God so that he can demonstrate his justice. And in the book of Revelation, we're starting to see um, really the justice of God coming out in full force. Yeah. And, you know, like we said before, it's a reminder when we read the book of Revelation to not get caught up in the... Um, just the descriptions of things that are happening, we need to remember that within everything, there is biblical truth. And um, so often we can get caught up in the details of Revelation because, uh, you know, it's like the apocalypse book and it's fun to like guess as to what all these symbols mean. Just 
do yourself a favor. Don't try to interpret. Try to find the truth in it. And don't try to assign meaning to things that, uh, you know, you think, oh, well, maybe the, you know, this, this crazy picture is meaning this. That's not what the original writer intended. When John was on the Isle of Patmos, this was a gift from God to him to share with us. So let's not take it out of context. Let's look for the truth inside the scripture. Yeah. One of the, one of the analogies I've heard that's really helpful for me is, um, as Christians, there's things that we hold with an open hand and there's things we hold with a with a closed hand. And so an example of that would be, you know, Jesus is God. That's a closed-handed issue. Like I I'm holding on to that. You're not going to convince me that's not true. Um the Bible screams it out. And there's a few issues like that, right? Like we are saved because of the work of Christ, not because mm-hmm. of our own works. That's a closed-handed issue. Yeah. Um a lot of the stuff in Revelation is open-handed. And so it's not necessarily wrong to have ideas of like, well, I think this is how it's going to happen. This is what's going to go down. Um, but almost nothing about the book do I hold with a closed hand in the sense of, I, you know, I'm, you're not going to convince me that yeah. this is not the truth. The, the only closed-handed thing I find in Revelation is that Jesus is coming back. Yeah. That we're going to have a relationship with God. There's going to be a new heaven. There's a new earth. There will be a period where God's wrath is poured out. Um, but as far as the details of that, I might have – in my mind, ways I think it'll play out. I'm sure everyone has ways in their mind when they read the book of Revelation, things that come to yeah. mind. Um, but I would encourage all of us, hold those things with an open hand. Yeah, it's the whole argument of dogma versus doctrine. There are things that are doctrine that we don't waver on, but you know what? We can talk about dogma, which is the way we do things, maybe some of our interpretations. Um, but yeah, just remember, above everything, keep the main thing the main thing that Revelation is all about Jesus winning over sin and bringing us into eternity with him. Well, that wraps it up for another week of Let's Read the Bible. We are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we are not the only podcast of the Grove Church. And I would encourage you, uh, we have sermon podcasts. We have a family podcast that goes on. If you would like to go on and check out all of the resources we offer, you can go to our website at grove.church. We will see you next week.